Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Plant Powered People Podcast. I'm Michelle Kane, your co-host and founder of World of Vegan. And I'm Tony Okamoto, your co-host and founder of Plant Based on a Budget and Food Sharing Vegan. On this show, we talk with plant-powered people from all around the world about various aspects of plant-based living. We want to empower you, dear listener, to learn, explore, and evolve in a kind, sustainable, and healthy direction, all while eating the most delicious food and having a ton of fun. Today, we are excited to bring on our friend, Robbie Barbero, who is the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Mastering Diabetes, and has a program by the same name. You might remember that we actually brought on his co-author Cyrus in season four, episode 65, to talk about diabetes as well. And they are different episodes. So we do recommend you go back and listen to the other one specifically for the differences between type one, type 1.5, type two, and gestational diabetes. We really cover those in depth. So go back and listen to this episode. It's fantastic. And there is so much practical application in this one, as well as on ways that people living with diabetes can take better control of their health with food. I know in that first episode that we recorded with Cyrus, I was pretty blown away to learn that you could have any impact on forms of diabetes other than type 2 with food. So we're really excited to dive deeper in this episode with Robbie. He is an internationally recognized diabetes expert and has helped countless people reverse insulin resistance and take back full control of their metabolic health. He's also been living himself with type 1 diabetes since he was young, and he has a master's in public health, and he has turned his full-time attention to his program, Mastering Diabetes, which offers a revolutionary online coaching program that's helping thousands of people reverse insulin resistance, gain energy, and significantly reduce chronic disease risk. We're so excited to have him on and we hope you enjoy the show. But before we jump in, we want to give a big thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Caraway Home and Yai's Thai. Caraway Home makes modern cookware that is non-toxic and beautiful, works so well. I have their cookware and bakeware collections in the sage green. They have a bunch of beautiful colors that you can check out on their website. But I love them because they're non-toxic kitchenwares that are designed for the modern home and feature a chemical-free ceramic coating. So the food can be prepared with the peace of mind that there's no hard-to-pronounce compounds or chemicals leaching into your healthy food. And they're so easy to clean. That ceramic coating food just slides right off of it. They have great storage systems. I keep mine on the countertop because they are so beautiful and I use them every day. And right now they are doing a cyber season event, which only happens once a year. And it's pretty exciting. So you can check that out at carewayhome.com to take advantage of their cyber season event and score up to 20% off on your next purchase of non-toxic kitchenware. This deal is not going to last long. So visit carewayhome.com to shop all their incredible products and get up to 20% off this holiday season. Thank you so much, Caraway. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Yai's Chai. They make jarred Thai curries and sauces that have bold flavors and make weeknight dinners so simple. Since it's cold and rainy season, I've been finding myself really uninspired after a long day of work. And I don't want to go into the kitchen and whip up a full meal from scratch. And Yai's Chai has really turned things around for me. 
I keep a few bottles of their sauces in my pantry. I've especially been enjoying the ginger garlic stir fry sauce. And I stir fry it up with some pre-chopped frozen veggies and cubed super firm tofu and If I'm extra prepared, I will also have meal prepped a grain like rice or quinoa. And it's so delicious and nutritious. And I'm in and out of the kitchen in under 10 minutes. You know, I'm all about being in and out of the kitchen. So you've got to check them out. You can visit yaisthai.com. That's Y-A-I-S. T-H-A-I.com and make sure you use the code plant power for 20% off of your order. Hi, Robbie. Welcome to the plant powered people podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tony and Michelle. I got to tell you guys, I read, you know, you prepared me for this interview. You had like an email making sure I'm all ready. And in that email, it said, you know, make sure to talk slowly. And I'm going to do my best to do that, but I get really excited. (laughs) I'm just happy to be here. Well, that means you're the perfect guest, someone who's extremely passionate about your expertise and wants to share it with the world. And you have so much to say that you have to get it out. And I appreciate that too. I love it. I love it. So I have had the pleasure of meeting you and you you are such a fun, happy guy. You are located in Florida, which is such a beautiful place to be. Are you in Miami? I am. I'm in Miami Beach. Okay. In Miami Beach. And I feel like you're so, like you fit in so nicely in the summer sun that is year round seemingly. And, uh, and I hope that everyone gets a chance to see you speak, hear you. Uh, you have so many resources online and I want to get into how you got into this and a little bit about who you are. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. And so I became passionate about this whole topic of, you know, diabetes and reversing insulin resistance through my personal experience. So I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 12 years old, just about to turn 13. So that was January 26th of 2000. I'll never forget the day. And prior to that, diagnosis day, I had been telling my mom, I was like, mom, you know, I think I have diabetes just like Steve. So my older brother was diagnosed with type one diabetes nine years prior to me. And she said, no, no, don't be silly. You don't have diabetes. I said, okay, fine. So I proceeded to be thirsty all the time, going to the bathroom all the time, losing weight. And I just went on with life. And eventually we were living in Minnesota at the time. And my parents were in Florida looking at homes because they were, we were going to move there. And my mom called to check in and she says, hey, you know, how are you doing? What's, what's going on? And I said, well, I couldn't sleep last night. I was cramping. She said, okay, go upstairs, use your brother's blood glucose meter and test yourself. And I was well over 400 milligrams per deciliter. You, a healthy, normal person really should not be above 140. And my brother said right then and there, you have type 1 diabetes, pack your bag, you're going to be in the hospital for a few nights. So that was the beginning of my journey with type 1 And I remember my parents flew back the next day. My dad just said, look, it's okay. It's just an inconvenience. You can do whatever you want in life. It's just an inconvenience. And they raised us with that mentality. And living in Minnesota, we had the opportunity to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester because our parents wanted us to have the best medical care possible. And so I proceeded to 
follow everything they taught. I'm, I'm a very good student, you know, type A person. If you teach me something and that's what I believe is the right thing to do, I will do it. So at the time, I followed what the Mayo Clinic taught me to do. And in hindsight, it's a really big missed opportunity. When somebody gets diagnosed, I believe, with any type of diabetes, it's a, a chance to improve your health and, and take things from a different approach. They never said anything about insulin resistance or becoming more insulin sensitive. They never said anything about changing my food or my lifestyle habits to improve my health in that moment and reduced my, reduce my long-term chronic disease risk. So I just proceeded to follow the standard American diet and I developed standard American diet symptoms. So I had chronic allergies. I would take Nasonex and Claritin D every year and still get sick all the time. I developed cystic acne as a teenager, which was really frustrating. I took everything. We went to the dermatologist and did laser treatments. They did like microdermal abrasion where they're like scraping my skin. I took all these different creams, all these different pills. Nothing worked. Eventually, they put me on Accutane, which is one of the most serious drugs you can possibly take for acne. My, my mom had to sign a waiver because some people had committed suicide on that drug. I was a competitive tennis player and I developed plantar fasciitis, which was frustrating. And I just had all these symptoms. So long story short, I continued to go down this path of like, you know, I'm always trying to seek, you know, better health. And my dad sold supplements and him selling these supplements was the beginning of me learning that, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's something to food. Maybe there's something to nutrition. And that was just the, the beginning of the path. And I kept on learning and learning. And then eventually in high school, I came across a book, which I do not recommend. Okay. This book is called Kevin Trudeau's Natural Cures. I don't want you to know about and this book planted the seed in my mind that I could reverse type 1 diabetes. And the reason I don't recommend it is because he actually like went to jail for some fraud and all this stuff. Like it's not a good situation, but it planted a seed in my mind that, you know what, if I take care of myself, maybe I can get my beta cells to regenerate and maybe I could reverse type 1 diabetes. So I go on this journey to just do anything and everything. Like I, I've like, I've done so many things. It's ridiculous. But it ends up leading me, a long journey ends up leading me to trying, the most notable thing is right before I found the approach I follow now is I would follow a, a ketogenic diet. It wasn't even called a ketogenic diet at the time, but it was a plant-based low-carb diet where I would eat, my calories came from essentially nuts and seeds, oils, then I would eat like a lot of greens but I couldn't have too many carbohydrate-rich foods. Like even bell peppers was too many carbs. So it was no more than 30 grams of carbohydrate per day. So I tried this plant-based ketogenic diet and I have like no energy. I start losing weight and I'm just like frustrated. So the next thing I try is I end up coming across a podcast where a guy is talking about eating fruits and vegetables to basically rid of like heavy metals because that's something I had tried to do along this journey. I'm like, okay, wow, that sounds interesting. Like this guy's telling me I can do that. Like, let, let me just try this. So I'm, I switched from this plant-based ketogenic diet to a low-fat plant-based whole food diet. This is December of 2006. It's like the exact opposite of the, the two diets. And what ends up happening is as a person living with type 1 diabetes and using insulin, I see these objective improvements in my insulin sensitivity immediately. The first week I ate nothing but bananas. That's what this guy taught me to do. And then I ate bananas and lettuce and I started adding a bunch of other fruits and much more diverse foods over time. But my insulin sensitivity improved by 900%. It would take 
one unit of insulin for one gram of glucose on the ketogenic diet, one unit of insulin to metabolize one gram of glucose. On this new approach, I could take one unit of insulin to metabolize 10 grams of glucose. That's a 900% change in, in, again, pure insulin sensitivity because I'm measuring glucose. I'm taking out fiber, I'm taking out fructose, just insulin to glucose. And that was just an unbelievable eye-opening experience. At the time, I was a student at the University of Florida. So I had access to the world's leading journals uh, for you know, nutrition and, and medical-related topics. And I went and I dug deep and found a lot of like old papers. And I would do like interlibrary loan for them to get me these things from like other schools. And I found out that what I was experiencing was documented in the peer-reviewed literature all the way back to when insulin was first discovered. Insulin was first discovered in 1921, then first used in humans in 1922. And there was a paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1926, which illustrated that as you reduce your fat intake and increase your carbohydrate intake, your insulin sensitivity improved. And so I just dug into this research. I was like, wow, like I got to start telling people about this. And I've since been you know, following this low-fat, plant-based, whole-food approach for now it's well over, I guess you call it like 16 years at this point. And um, I've been living with type one for 20. And I'm, I'm very proud of like the results that I've had personally, but also that they translate to the clients we have at Mastering Diabetes. So personally, as a type one, my latest A1C is 5.3%, which is excellent for type one. Technically, it's a non-diabetic A1C. I use a physiologically normal amount of insulin, which is about 27 to 30-ish units per day. And again, if you're living with insulin-dependent diabetes, your goal is to inject the same amount of insulin that your pancreas would have normally secreted before your pancreas was damaged. And that's where I'm at with about, you know, call it 30 units per day. And I eat well over 700 grams of carbohydrate per day. And to put that into context, that is more grams of carbohydrate in a day than some ketogenic people will eat in a week. So... That's fantastic. My insulin sensitivity is great. So all that, all the carbohydrate energy, all that glucose for a healthy amount of insulin, healthy A1C. I use a continuous glucose monitor, a Dexcom G6. And so I monitor my time and range, which shows, which is well over consistently above 90%. And for a typical person with type 1 diabetes, they're between like, I would say 50 and 70. And the goal for, you know, for people having the type 1 is to shoot for around 70%. So basically doing, you know, what you would say is the exact opposite of what people with diabetes think they should do and getting what is extraordinary results. And we see the same thing in our clients, which makes me super passionate about this. And I'll say one more, one more thing before I end my long rant here. As I'm sure everybody learned, you know, in the first interview with Cyrus here, the core of our platform at Mastering Diabetes is talking about why it is so important to reverse insulin resistance and become more insulin sensitive. So my passion really, it gets like re-emphasized multiple times every single day because every time I want to eat food, I have to inject insulin as a person living with type one. So I experience this high level of insulin sensitivity many, many, I eat four times a day. I eat breakfast, I eat lunch, I eat a pre-dinner and I eat dinner. I'm very active, training a lot, so that's what I eat. So at least four times a day, I'm injecting insulin and eating what, again, what, and injecting at a certain ratio, carbohydrate to insulin ratio, that most people think is just not possible. Like that is crazy. That just shouldn't be. That shouldn't be possible. 
but it's simply because I follow the mastering diabetes method to a T. And when I, when you follow this information that we've outlined in the book and in our program, it just works. Like it's just science. And this translates to everybody, every human, no matter whether you're living with diabetes or not, you want to be more insulin sensitive. So you have over a hundred million people in the U S alone who are living with either pre-diabetes or type two diabetes. And the prerequisite for those two conditions is insulin resistance. So for that group of people, we can just solve the problem completely. Pre-diabetes, 100% reversible, can just go away. Type 2 diabetes in the vast majority of cases, especially when it's caught early enough, can just be completely reversed. And I get that, that confirmation that we can, so for those people, you're already, you're producing enough insulin. You're actually producing too much insulin, especially in the beginning. And your, your, your insulin resistance, your pancreas produces more and more and more to try to overcome the insulin resistance. So all you have to do in that case is you have to implement the lifestyle habits that make the insulin that you're producing work more efficiently. And I see that in my own body every day. I see that in our clients every day. On our, we have you know, a Slack testimonial thread where like new stuff's coming in every single day. And I'm just super excited about it. Awesome. That is very inspiring, I'm sure, for a lot of people who are listening who either are living with diabetes themselves or, or have a, a family member who may feel overwhelmed. So that that is good news. Okay. In brief, we've got a lot of questions to get through. What is the mastering diabetes approach? Okay. So the mastering diabetes method has four components. The first component is low fat, plant-based whole food nutrition. The second component is intermittent fasting for those who want to incorporate that. The third component is physical movement. So physical activity doesn't have to be like rigorous. It's just like regular movement. And then number four is a process we call, it's called the decision tree. So it's really a sort of proprietary process we've created where you document your day-to-day choices on a, a piece of paper. And that will give you information about how your, your lifestyle choices are making you either more insulin resistant or more insulin sensitive, or how your lifestyle choices are making your blood glucose levels go up or go down. So that decision tree component is very, very important. But it's these four components all working together and all implemented in a slow, steady, consistent manner. Because when people make lifestyle change, oftentimes they get very excited and they jump in and they get overwhelmed and then it doesn't stick. And we are really adamant about helping people create long-term success by making one change at a time and doing it in a way that these changes are going to stick. When we spoke with Cyrus, who you run Mastering Diabetes with, and you also co-authored Mastering Diabetes, the book, he explained the differences between all the different types of diabetes. And it was really fascinating to us because we only hear about type one and type two. When you're speaking about the work that you do at Mastering Diabetes, do you have a focus or is everything that you're saying in this whole interview applicable to any type? Yes, that's a great question. So it is for any type of diabetes. That's true. But it is one focus in the sense that we are just focusing on what you can do to become more insulin sensitive. That is the link between all the forms of diabetes and quite frankly, the majority of all of our chronic health issues. So whether that's heart disease, whether that's cancer, fatty liver disease, chronic kidney disease, 
obesity, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, Alzheimer's disease, also known as type 3 diabetes, retinopathy, neuropathy, the list goes on and on and on. Insulin resistance is the central node. So that is what we focus on is helping people reverse insulin resistance. What is insulin resistance? Okay, so I will read to you the dictionary definition. The dictionary definition is the diminished ability of cells to respond to the action of insulin in transporting glucose from the bloodstream into muscle and other tissues. So in simple words, insulin resistance is when your body is struggling to take glucose out of your bloodstream and bring it into your muscle cells for your body to then have energy to do what it needs to do. That's where like diabetes comes from. It's, oh, well, my blood glucose is high. Well, why is your blood glucose high? Because the glucose can't get out of your bloodstream. That's the problem. It's insulin resistance. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so that's what it is. But the more important thing is what causes it. And that is where, you know, everybody starts fighting and the low carb and the high carb people start going crazy and, and, and yelling at each other, which is very sad. We all have a lot more in common than we don't. But the cause, as I'm sure Cyrus explained in his show, is the consumption of excess dietary fat. So trans fat's the number one problem, then saturated fat, and you could have too much unsaturated fat. But that is the cause, and it's very easily addressable. It does not need to be complicated. This is actually overall, the solution is quite simple. It's just that it takes a lot of you know, support and education and, and, the, and the practicality of making, like understanding the changes versus the practicality of implementing it in our current environment, that's where the challenge lies. Okay. So can you talk to us a little bit about eating fat, how that affects our bodies, the different types of fats, and then how we can practically apply that to our lives? Okay. So here's the key thing when it comes to dietary fat and our current environment, all right? What's happening is that we just generally, as a society, especially in America, we just eat too much processed food in general, first and foremost. And then a lot of these processed foods come with added fats and oils that just truly are not necessary. So most people don't understand how much fat they're consuming. Like if there is one thing that everybody listening to this could leave the show with, and it, you know, if whether you're living with diabetes or not, to just take the time to log your food intake just for the sake of learning, just for the sake of knowledge. Let me just understand, like what is the macronutrient breakdown of the foods that I am just generally consuming? And this can easily be done with free software these days. You can get into MyFitnessPal, you could use chronometer. There's millions of these suffers out there. Those are the two most famous ones. But what we're recommending in order to maximize your insulin sensitivity is based on 100 years of evidence-based research where they have actually looked at how much fat does it take to basically you know, cause insulin resistance, you know, especially over the course of time. Because it's not something that just a flip of a switch, right? So this problem of insulin resistance, of excess dietary fat consumption, this is going to accumulate over time, okay? So we're looking to keep it at a maximum of 15% of total calories coming from fat. 
And then it's the same thing for protein, maximum of 15% of protein, and then a minimum of 70% coming from carbohydrate. And that's whole carbohydrate. So 70, 15, 15. But again, that's, it's not like don't shoot for those actual numbers. It's that that's the range to shoot for. So minimum 70% carbohydrate, maximum 15% from protein and fat. And this is actually very simple to do because natural whole foods end up falling into this category automatically, okay? It's only when we start adding it, you know, because of our food availability, food being a little more processed, it's easier to get, you know, nuts and seeds, you know, in nature aren't the easiest things to get our hands on. But now it's, it's much easier and we can have more and they're very tasty and they're added to a lot of dishes. And it's just, it's problematic, again, particularly for insulin resistance and people who have a metabolic disease. And I, I do want to make a distinction here that what we're doing at Mastering Diabetes and, and why we're, you know, we're specifically targeting the fat intake from all foods is very much like laser focused on, again, people who are living with some form of diabetes or have, you know, again, a chronic health condition. There might be people listening, oh, they're like, they're young, they don't have any health issues. They're like, oh, like, I want to have a little more of those foods. Yeah, okay, you no know, stress. Like, but that's not really exactly who we're speaking to. So that's where this becomes very important. And that's where the laser focus comes in. And people are, again, it's very surprising how much fat people are consuming. Like, that it becomes a very eye opening experience how little avocado or how little like nuts and seeds. So it's about a fourth of an avocado or so. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact grams of fat, but I'm imagining this illustration we have in the book, which I'm not going to try and pull up my, on my computer here. But we have an illustration in the book where we compare a full day's worth of eating, like how much total fat would be in an entire day's worth of eating versus if you just had like a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of nuts and seeds. And the illustration makes it like mind-bogglingly clear how these higher fat foods, so high fat foods include obviously oils, but nuts and seeds are a higher fat food. It's not a protein food. It's a high fat food. It's about 70 or so percent of calories coming from fat with nuts and seeds. Then you would, avocado is a higher fat food. Then, you know, olives is considered a higher fat food. And then again, if you're living uh, with insulin resistance, you want to be aware of how much soy products you're consuming. So edamame is the cleanest, most whole intact form of soy. And that's 40% of calories from fat. And if you're just not aware of the volume you're consuming, you could easily exceed the threshold that we're talking about of 15% of calories coming from fat. The other threshold we have is another simple way to look at it. It ends up, the numbers come, end up being similar, but no more than 30 grams of total carbohydrate or total fat per day. And that will um, ensure that you're definitely likely not going above 15%. I watched something that you posted on Instagram. And for those who are liking what they're hearing, you've got to follow Robbie on Instagram and we'll link, link the profiles in our show notes. But you felt very extremely passionately about coconut oil. And I would love to hear you speak on that because I have since started moving away from using coconut oil at all. I don't think I've eaten it once since I saw your video. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So the teaching point when it comes to coconut oil is that it's very high in saturated fat. 
which is concerning, especially if you've looked at the research and understand the, you know, the connection between saturated fat and cardiovascular disease. But I remember in that particular video, the point, the additional point on top of that, that I was trying to make is a lot of people got upset about that. A lot of people are really upset about coconut oil. And I don't like making people upset. I'm just trying to bring out facts and, and everybody can decide what they want to do. But we understand that white table sugar is considered a junk food. Like people, they don't, we don't disagree with that. That's a pretty much universally like nobody's suggesting, you know, add, you know, crystallized white table sugar to your meals in the name of health. Nobody's saying that. And the reason is because a junk food is something that is high in its caloric value and low in its nutrient density. That is a junk food. And coconut oil fits that category because it is actually even, it's higher than sugar. It's very high in its caloric value. You could, there's no food you consume that's higher in calories than, than oil. It's the most processed calorie-rich food on the planet, about 4,000 calories per pound. So very high in caloric value. And then anybody with your own curiosity can go into one of these nutrition softwares and you could type in what nutrients are you going to get when you have, let's say, 100 calories of coconut oil. And because it's been processed so much, the nutrition value is, is essentially gone. Like there's very, very little nutrition left at this point. Maybe if it's a very, very high quality oil, maybe like a little bit more than, than a junk one. But it just doesn't have nutrition value. You, you've stripped away all the water content. You've stripped away all the carbohydrate, all the protein, all the fiber, majority of the micronutrients, and you're just left with basically pure fat. And it's just not necessary. You know, I mean, people get upset when you're like taking away a food or something. And again, that's not the intention, but it's just, uh, I hope it educates people and they get the mindset of there are better things to consume. Even when it comes to oil, you're like, oh, I have to have oil. Well, even in that case, there would be better oils to consume, but you know, we'd rather you just go with the whole food. Uh, you know, from our stance, having some olives on top of your salad is way better than having olive oil. And having some coconut meat or some you know, coconut flakes or something on top of an acai bowl or something or on top of a, a smoothie bowl you make, that's just a better option than going for the super refined coconut oil. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. I have a lot of people in my life who have severely suffered from type 2 diabetes, amputations, death. It's been, it's been really terrible. And I also have people who are managing and they no longer drink soda and they no longer eat fast food. But something that I haven't heard from anyone I know, and I, I know a lot of people within my own family who have type 2 diabetes and the toll that animal products take on their bodies. And I'm, I'm not sure if that's just something that's not taught by doctors. And I was hoping that you can share some of your insights and experience with how animal products impact someone living with diabetes and okay. why, why that's not discussed more often. Yeah, it's a great question. One of many topics that I just uh, can't believe is not discussed more often when it comes to diabetes health in general. But there's a few problems with animal products, and it really comes down to the package. Okay, like what what is included in you know again consuming basically any animal product, 
And one of the problems is advanced glycation end products. So in general, animal products are higher in advanced glycation end products than plant-based foods. So you could have you know, certain processed plant-based foods, which would be higher as well. And AGEs are problematic for when it comes to inflammation, when it comes to risk for cardiovascular disease. It's a problem. And again, it's tied to animal products. Another component is that meat and dairy products contain a high amount of leucine. Okay, this is an, it's an amino acid and it activates a biochemical pathway known as mTOR. And this can be very problematic. All right. So you could basically, basically lead to, again, putting yourself at risk for fatty liver disease. So the thing that pe- one thing I, I think it's not talked about enough in general when it comes to diabetes health is the additional conditions that come along with diabetes. All right. And so these animal products are increasing your risk for these other conditions. People living with diabetes, statistically, it's not diabetes that kills us. It's heart disease. That is the number one cause of death for people living with all forms of diabetes, including type one. And then kidney disease is problematic, fatty liver disease as well. So it's these components of animal products. So again, so we have leucine, then we have heme iron, okay? This is also found in animal products, not in plants, problematic. Then nitrates and nitrites, can't forget those, okay? Again, these are foods that are found in animal products and research has shown consistently that it increases your risk for cardiovascular disease for sure. And this is all covered in mad detail in chapter five of our book. So as I mentioned, I have a lot of people in my life who have had, um, who feel overwhelmed by the, is it a diagnosis? A, the diagnosis of, of yes, diagnosis of, uh, of diabetes and how they're going to live a normal life, feel like they once did before they knew they were going to live with diabetes for, for, it, it seems like ever, it, it, that's what it feels like to them. And, uh, and even when I talk to some people in my family now, they believe it's a forever lifestyle change that they'll have to make where they have to stop drinking soda and, and things like that. And it's not something that can be reversed. And they believe it's in their genes, their their parents had it and their parents had it and therefore they will have it and their children will likely have it, which uh, we learned from Cyrus is not the case. When you are in that situation and you feel that or you have a family member or friend who feels that, how do you even get started with management? And maybe if you have type 2 diabetes, how do you move away from medications one day or um is there is it ever too late to get on a healthier path okay this is a great question and it impacts a lot of people and in our book we actually you know did a very, make a very intentional distinction which i hadn't seen made in other books uh is that there's a distinction between insulin dependent type 2 diabetes and non-insulin dependent type 2 diabetes. So if you have had type 2 diabetes for long enough and your pancreas is exhausted, you may have gotten to a point where 
you're not producing enough insulin. And I'm sure Cyrus probably talked about this in his episode where he's explaining the, the differences between the types of diabetes and that, um, you know, one of the tests we recommend is called a C-peptide test. It's one of the most important tests you can possibly get if you're living with any form of diabetes. And it helps you understand how much insulin your pancreas is producing. And this test can help illuminate, you know what, like what expectations should I have as I make lifestyle changes? And if you find out you're not producing enough insulin, that is okay. You're, you're going to be in more like in the category of like Cyrus and myself and other people living with type 1 or type 1.5 or insulin dependent type 2. We're all in the same boat and we may have to inject insulin um, for the rest of our lives until some solution, other solution is found. And that is okay because we can still take full control of our overall metabol metabolic health. And as I referenced earlier, the number one cause of death for people living with all forms of diabetes is heart disease. And by it's never too late to make lifestyle change to reduce your risk of developing heart disease. And it's never too late to make lifestyle changes that give you more energy, that make you feel good, that improve your, your gut health, improve your, you know, your bowel movements. I mean, there's a, a lot of things that happen, you know, I mean, like fairly quickly when making these changes where you're like, wow, like, yeah, like this is worth it. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better. I mean, at the end of the day, like, isn't that really what matters is like our quality of life um, and that we're doing the things we want with the people that we love. And it is absolutely never too late to make changes. That's inspiring. I'm sure a lot of people need to hear that. It it can be overwhelming, even, even as we have been ha um, over the past two seasons, we've brought on a lot of health experts. And it as someone who lives a decently healthy lifestyle. I've been uh, vegan for a long time. I exercise. I still get overwhelmed by thinking how I can lessen my oil intake especially or stop eating so so many foods that have so much sodium. And, yeah. uh, and so these words of encouragement are, I'm sure, impacting so many who are listening to this, including me. So thank you. Good. What are some practical ways to get into a routine that can positively impact someone who's living with type two di or living with any type any any type of diabetes? Okay, I'm really glad you asked this question because it's something I have been thinking a lot about, something that we have been working on with our clients in our coaching program and how to improve our program and what I have found, you know, my current stance right now is when it comes to making lifestyle changes and, and developing habits and establishing something that's going to work for you is that there is nothing more important than accountability. You have got to find uh, a system, uh, a coach, uh, uh, a friend, some group, like somebody to be accountable to. And that there's just, it's just human nature. We start to show up differently. And when you become accountable, you also have, you know, I would say like, you know, an outside view, sort of looking at the situation, helping you analyze and helping you, you know, make good decisions. And hopefully people can help 
observe when you're doing too much. Like it's really, really important to take it slow and steady and have a long-term view and understand that anything you're trying to improve or, or any you know health number you're trying to change, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't established overnight and it's not going to necessarily become reversed overnight. Like you can see progress very quickly and fast and that's very encouraging, but the full solution, it's going to take some time to implement. So go slow and steady and have accountability in your life, the things that matter to you and that uh, you really want help with because it's not easy. Like, it's just not easy. Uh, Anybody can say that. I mean, Tony, you're saying how like, oh, you're thinking about things, you know, you could do that would be better for you. I mean, that's true for me. That's true for Cyrus. That's true for everybody. Like every human being can always do a little bit better. There's something that we could add or do in a more optimal way. And that will never end. But it's a fun journey, especially when you're doing it slow and steady and making progress and, you know, being accountable to people that uh, are really supportive and helping you achieve your goals. That's really helpful advice that applies to anything you want to achieve in life. And it also, I mean, for those listening who are vegan or who are eating high vegan, (laughs) lots of vegan foods, you've been there already, right? Like there was a time where eating vegan sounded insane, like never eating meat again, never eating dairy again. These things that were so core to our plates from the moment we were born into the world pretty much. And it's like riding a bike. Like at first it is really hard. You have to figure out what to eat instead and things that you love and how to shop and, you know, how to, what to do when those cravings hit. And then now, I mean, it's, it feels so easy. It's like no big deal at all. So it's, it's scarier in, in thinking about than in the practical application oftentimes. And so, yeah, having accountability is so helpful, but also just having having sort of a plan for where to start and how to take yeah. it step by step so that you don't get so overwhelmed at the beginning that you don't make it to the end where you're just like sailing downhill on your bike because you know how to do it. So what recommendations do you have for someone who's just starting out? Like what what should they what might they eat in a day that would be good? And maybe where do you start with that? And where do you evolve to down the line? Okay, great question. Uh, We recommend that people who start to adopt the mastering diabetes method and make these changes, change one meal at a time. And I know for some people that can be like, oh no, that's like too slow. You know, it's like, we're like, look, if you want to go further, that's fine. But as you're going through our process, like we're only going to focus on that one meal you're changing at a time. And so that I think is something that is doable and something that when there's going to be adjustments in your, like you just said, Michelle, like your, your daily routine, like your shopping, like there's a lot of adjustments that go into the changes you're going to make to each and every meal. So figuring out your new breakfast, your new breakfast routine, the ingredients you're going to buy, how you're going to prep it, how it's going to fit into, you know, how you get to work or uh, your activity or, you know, the kids in the house, like all the nuances, working on just that one meal and figuring out that. And I would say, try and master that for about seven days in a row until you feel comfortable. If you need more, then take another week. Okay. Do that for 14 days. And then once you're like, okay, you know what? I got breakfast. Like this makes sense. I can do this. I, I like these new foods. I'm feeling good with them. If you're living with diabetes, you have like a, a, a plan for like how it's impacting your medication use and your blood glucose control. Then you move on to lunch and you take, again, just as, as much time as you need with lunch, figure out the nuances, the details, and then move to dinner. 
And then you can finally do change snacks and piece it all together. So our approach is changing one meal at a time. Can you give an example of just like a breakfast or maybe a breakfast and a lunch and what that shift might look like coming from either a standard American or maybe like a a less healthy vegan (laughs) vegan, uh, breakfast to one that is optimized? Okay, so I'm I'm looking at the book right now and I'm actually going to read a couple of these recipes in here for breakfast, but I'm going to highlight the fact that I will be open and honest and transparent in saying the the mastering diabetes method is very very whole foods focused and it's particularly because people are coming to us with high levels of insulin resistance they already see high blood glucose readings they want to see those come down and whole foods with its with its entire package intact and the fiber there is a major part of this process, especially in the very beginning. And so, I mean, look, I, I spent, you know, six years helping, you know, build the Forks Over Knives brand and, and launch the movie and all the stuff there. And, and, and those recipes are very, very clean, very, very simple. And we've taken it even like, you know, one step further. And so we have, you know, a green light category, a yellow light category, and a red light category. And so, where the, the, like the way these recipes are, are written out and the way they're designed is to focus primarily on the green light category, which is completely whole foods. There's, there's no, the, in the grains are intact whole grains. So we're talking like oat groats. We're talking, you know, farro, millet. We're talking, you know, brown rice, you know, all that stuff, like really whole intact foods. Um, and you know, even something like, you know, bread or something, bread's going to go in the yellow light category. It's, it's great. It's fine. You know, try and try and find a clean bread, you know, shoot for something like uh, Ezekiel bread or something like that. Um, but even then it's still, it's still a little bit more processed. And so a lot of people on our program, they're living with type two diabetes. They're looking to lose some weight. We're going to, instead of having millet bread, we're going to focus on the millet. Um, and so that's really a major focus here. Um, with that said. We could have, let's see, how about a Mexican bean breakfast skillet? All right, this has got a yellow onion. It's got some garlic, some cumin, some lemon zest, uh, black beans. We got some ground pepper, tomatoes, cilantro, uh, flax seeds, and there's a lemon quartered in this recipe. All right, how about, how about the Cyrus quinoa special? It's got quinoa, it's got apples, blackberries, strawberries, uh, has... We have ground flax seeds or ground chia seeds in all of our breakfast meals because once you have a, ta- a tablespoon of either chia seeds or a tablespoon of flax seeds, you have already met your essential fatty acid requirements for the day. So a lot of people come into our program concerned that, oh, it's too low fat. They're not going to get the essential fatty acids. Well, again, we cover this in detail in the book, but don't worry, we got you covered. You're going to meet your requirements for breakfast, and then all the whole foods you're going to consume throughout the day are going to provide you even more essential fatty acids because every whole food contains a small amount of essential fatty acids, every whole food. And when you eat enough of it, it adds up and it it contributes in a meaningful way to your essential fatty acid requirements. Okay, we got a tropical fruit salad. How about a papaya, mango? Uh, We got some chickpeas in here, romaine lettuce. Uh, there's chia seeds, then we got some spices, cumin, curry, and some fresh lemon juice. So it's, it's whole plant foods. 
that's that's what we're talking about for breakfast. Do you want me to talk about a lunch or a dinner? Well, I was just going to pop in to say that um, that that all sounds really tasty to me. Uh, you're saying you love the recipes in the book. <laughs> you're, you're, I feel like you're giving a bit of a disclaimer that it's like all whole foods, plant based. However, it it's whole foods, plant based, and it sounds so tasty with spices and different flavors and different uh, pieces of produce in there. And and because it's whole foods, plant based, and maybe it doesn't use oil or maybe it doesn't use a lot of sodium doesn't mean that it's not packed with flavor and won't satisfy you. So it's, it's, it's whole foods plant-based and super delicious. Tony, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm going to get you on the PR team here. And, <laughs> and I, I do want to say, I, I, yes, you're exactly right. It, it is delicious. We believe that and stand by that for sure. And what happens is our, our diet is also particularly, you know, very low in sodium because a lot of people who come to us with either pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes are also struggling with high blood pressure. So it's very low in sodium. And as you eat these meals and, you know, reduce or eliminate some of the more processed foods, the natural foods come to life. You know, like the, the beans, the, the potato, the fruit, like all that stuff. It, the flavor is so much more than it was historically because of the foods you've removed from your diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our taste buds change based on what we're used to too. So even oh. if you're trying something at first and saying, oh, like that always happens based on trying anything new. I mean, you look at different cultures and their foods. And if you try it for the first time, you might not like it, but you keep trying it and you're like, oh my God, this is the best. So uh, true. I yeah. actually feel that way. This is, I used to drink soda before I uh, started dating my now husband and he stopped drinking alcohol for me and I stopped drinking soda for him. And, Aww. and, uh, <laughs> and it was really hard for me because I, I don't drink alcohol. And so to go out and not have a beverage was weird. And I did not like carbonated water. And mm. now I, I love carbonated, um, like flavored water. If I go out and I need something, I totally love it. And I don't know how, how or when it happened, but it's my favorite. So um, your palate can change. I went from loving soda and not thinking like, how, how could I go out and not have a Coke uh, to no, thank you. Don't want that, but I will have a uh, uh, soda water. I love that. Absolutely. Our, our taste buds definitely change. Our preferences change too. I was really surprised. I mean, okay. I'm not surprised. Exercise is just good and, and, and we should be doing it. And I've made that a priority of my year this year to get more active. And I feel better. I feel like I have less aches and pains. I have more energy. I just, I, I, I like myself when I'm exercising and, and that's physically, mentally, emotionally, I just feel better. But I was surprised that you covered that in your book, Mastering Diabetes. Uh, can you talk about the importance of exercise in the mastering diabetes approach? Okay. So, um, I'm glad to hear that you're experiencing so many benefits from more activity and it's, there's a lot of science behind this and we have an entire chapter dedicated to the science of how activity promotes health on a cellular level. And for me, I, the long story short is, I guess, just through 
um, personal experience. So Cyrus is like our, you know, scientific, uh, you know, PhD uh, nerd here when it comes to like all the, he'll go, he can go like mad detail about various chemical reactions and this and that. And, and for me, I'm, I'm, I'm come from more of like, not so much of the biochemistry perspective, but more of just like, what do we see in our clients? What is also like, what's the period of literature saying in general, about, especially with CGM data we have, but also even what I see on my own personal CGM data. So even, and I, I want to highlight this, that even just walking, like walking has a profound impact on your blood glucose control. And I see this again on a daily basis. So if I eat dinner, let's say I'm going to eat a dinner and let's say it's going to have like, I don't know, 100 grams of carbohydrate and I'm going to eject at a, a 50 to 1 ratio. So I would normally take two units of insulin. If I am going to walk after dinner, like just go and walk for like 15 minutes, I will have to take 1.5 units. I have to adjust it. And if I don't, I automatically go low. And so you like that visceral experience, like day after day after day, I say, okay, wow, like just the walking made me more insulin sensitive after that meal and basically opened up the floodgates. And what we like to say in the book here is that sometimes you can almost like eat carbohydrate for free. It's kind of like the joke, but that's what activity will do. And we have people come to us with type two diabetes and they make a lot of the changes we recommend and food is for sure, first and foremost. We say this clearly in the book, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet, okay? You, you have to change the food. But the, the impact that they will see on their fasting blood glucose levels, the speed at which weight will begin to come off by just starting to walk or do very simple at-home exercise is it's mind-boggling like it's it's very exciting it's fun to see um and we also didn't until we you know obviously you could, the research is powerful but when you see it in real people and your clients over and over again which is kind of you know experience with thousands of clients is what sort of led us to write the book in the first place um but when you see it so repeatedly and so consistently because sometimes you know when people start out again we're making one change at a time there might not be that active yet in the beginning. But then once they kick in that little bit of activity, it's like, wow, like everything changes and just speeds up towards the, the goals that they're looking for. And so once you experience that in so many clients, of course, like it had to become a core component of the book, a core component of our method. And it is something that absolutely differentiates our program in general. Because a lot of people, when it comes to, or I wouldn't say a lot of people, a lot of programs um, focus mainly on the food, like just the food, just the food. And we're bringing in the component of, yeah, we got to dial in the food for sure. We also have to dial in the movement. And we also have to dial in the accountability and be in a right system. And when you put all that together, that's when people start, you know, really hitting their goals and maintaining them. I love that. It's also something that I needed to hear. I feel like as life gets busier and busier, for me, exercise is usually the first thing to drop, <laughs> yeah. uh, that I drop oh. out. And it can go a very long period where I'm just really doing nothing focused active. And my body, I feel like is extraordinarily forgiving to me in that. And you forget about the impact that you can't see on a cellular level and how important that is for all different components of health. So thank you for that reminder. 
we are coming towards the end, but I have a question that's not specifically related to diet, but I think is really important. We had someone on on the World Vegan team whose son was just diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and she's become really passionate about spreading awareness about the signs of type 1 diabetes in kids. And I know you said that you had a brother who had it, so that helped you kind of get the heads up before it got extremely bad and you were in the hospital. But I know for a lot of kids, they land in the hospital with something potentially very life-threatening before they even know what it is, even though there were signs, because it's just not public information. It's not widespread. So can you give what to look out for for any parents who have kids? If you are noticing these signs, take action and get tested or what what they should do to prevent um, yeah, anything really scary from happening. This is definitely a very important topic. And I'm glad your team member has you know taken it upon herself to you know, do work uh, and and help raise awareness about this. So it is unfortunate that oftentimes the, you know, signs and symptoms of type 1 diabetes are, you know, very clear and very obvious and people just don't really have the knowledge or education to recognize that. So number one is if you are thirsty all the time and just going to the bathroom all the time, just like a ridiculous amount, like 15, 20, 30 times a day, like you just cannot get enough. Uh, you're basically, your body's trying to help you like dilute the fact that your glucose is so high. Um, so that's one issue. That's, that's the biggest one. That's the biggest, most obvious one. And then in addition to that is basically unexplained weight loss. So if you're, you know, um, anybody, and, and here's the thing I want to say, uh, in addition to what your teammate is doing here about, you know, for children and type one diabetes, I got to say like, there's, there's got to be an also low amount of awareness that more and more adults are getting diagnosed with either type 1 diabetes or type 1.5 diabetes. Or in some cases, they could be like they're being a, they're mis, misdiagnosed. I'm sure Cyrus went into this with the whole type 1 thing on the last show. But, you know, unexplained weight loss is a big one that um, should be a sign. They're like, you know what? Let me just go get tested. Like, let me have my glucose tested. You could even test at home. I mean, it'd literally be that simple. Like just like for when my brother tested me, um, you know, these meters are not that expensive um, or any urgent care clinic could easily help you um, test your blood glucose level. But I just want to raise awareness that this could be happening to somebody at, at any age, but certainly in kids as well. Thank you for that. Do you have any last words of advice? Um either for someone who like someone like me who feels overwhelmed on the behalf of my family and then also anybody who is living with diabetes and may feel like they can never get it under control. Yeah. So my advice would be for, you know, for somebody like you or a lot of people in a similar situation where, yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, it's just like, it's probably you maybe feel like disappointed that your family doesn't want to like make changes. Is that accurate? It's just, it's, it's disappointing, but in a, in the system and not so much my family, like the, mm-hmm. the world is, yeah. the world is harsh. And mm-hmm. also, um, I'm not sure what information they're getting and I am only so credible. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. hard to force my thoughts uh-huh onto my family. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I hear what you're saying. I got you on that one. I hear you on the frustration of basically the system 
not really when people come in, you know, basically with maybe they're they're overweight, they have a high blood glucose and whatever, they're like diagnosed type two diabetes, like here's metformin, instead of being like, hey, you could also change your your diet and lifestyle, like here's some tools. Like that's not happening. That's it. So uh in that case, the best I can say is, you know, we're we're doing everything we can to uh, you know, with a conjunction of a lot of other, you know, plant-based doctors and experts trying to get this information out to more people. And I think it's a grassroots effort. You know, we're here over here trying to, you know, create as many testimonials as humanly possible and share them on all the various social media platforms. And um, hopefully at some point the results just speak for themselves and people are going to have to like, you know, wake up and, and jump on board. And this is going to be like a default option for people who come into the doctor's office and get a diagnosis of any form of diabetes. So uh, I guess all I can say is, you know, send them, send them our way and, and we'll do our best to, to help. And, where, and can, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your program, about your book, about uh, your free resources online? How can they get a hold of you and follow your videos? Okay. So uh, the, thank you for asking. And this would lead into like the second question you asked. So if somebody is, you know, listening to this, you, you have some form of diabetes, you're a little overwhelmed, you're not sure what to do, like you want help. That is why we created Mastering Diabetes, um, because we realized that there, if you were living with some form of diabetes and you wanted to adopt a plant-based diet to reverse insulin resistance, there was not one place to go, like one focused place that's not, just really focuses on you. We understand you and all the nuances and the tests and why did your glucose go up in the morning? Why did it go up after exercise? Why does this medication make you feel sick? Like, why is this medic? Like, is there so many nuances when it comes to diabetes? And we are here for you, and um, we want to help you reach your goals. So the best place to go to is masteringdiabetes.org. There'll be a button in the upper right. It'll say "Start Here," and you can book a discovery call. We get on the phone with you. We talk. We understand. Okay, what's going on? What have you been through? And if we can help, we'll propose a solution and and see if it works for you. So talking to somebody on our team is definitely the place to start. Um, if you want information and you want to continue learning, we have a lot of videos on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. So that's where we are active. We also have a podcast. So you can check out our podcast on all the various podcasting platforms. If you like uh, reading books, then grab our book from anywhere books are sold. And you could also get the audiobook. So if you've never opened up an Audible account before, the first time you open up the account, your first book is free. So you could get the audiobook for free. Cyrus and I read that ourselves. It was a lot of fun. You could also just get the book at the, at the library. Uh, there should be, every library should have this book. If not, they should get it for you. So that's a great place to start and to learn. And it has, you know, over 800 scientific references. So everything we're talking about is evidence-based and really sound, solid advice that works. Incredible. Thank you so much, Robbie. And for all those listening, we will have all of those resources as well as notes from everything we talked about today at plantpoweredpodcast.com on the episode landing page. And Robbie, I just want to say a, a just an enormous thank you for the gift that you're giving to the world. You experienced something personal and then you transformed that into a way to help countless other people who are dealing with the same thing. And that's just so inspiring and keep up the amazing work. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. Bye. Thank you again to our sponsors of this episode. Yai's Thai makes jarred Thai curries and sauces that have bold flavors and make weeknight dinners so simple. And you can find them at yaisthai.com. That's Y-A-I-S-T-H-A-I.com. And make sure to use the code PLANTPOWER for 20% off of your order. And Caraway Home makes the most beautiful, modern, non-toxic, eco-friendly, non-stick, easy to clean cookware and make sure you check out carawayhome.com for their cyber season event that only happens once a year to save up to 20% off of your order. That was a fantastic episode with Robbie. And just a reminder, if you want to learn even more, you can check out episode 65 with Cyrus, who is his co-author of Mastering Diabetes. And together, they are the superpower team and world's best experts on, on diabetes. I was just looking up out of curiosity, the how many people are living with diabetes. And the internet is telling me that for the United States... Crude estimates for 2018 were 34.2 million people of all ages and 10.5% of the U.S. population had diabetes. So this is definitely impacting a lot of us, friends, family, maybe even ourselves. So um, it's an important one if you know anyone or you have a platform or just family you can share this with. I encourage you to and hopefully it can help some people. Thank you again to Robbie and I encourage you to check out the show notes where we took detailed notes on today's episode. You can find that at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes there. And you can sign up for our email list if you want to stay tuned and get an email whenever we release a new show. You find that all at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you'd like to support the show, it means the world to us. You can always do that by leaving reviews in Apple Podcasts, but also... We have a Patreon account where you can donate even just a couple dollars a month to support the show. And if you'd like to do that, you can find it at patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. Thank you all so, so much. Wishing you a beautiful day and we will talk to you in the next episode. 